All right, we've officially paused everything going on in our lives to talk to you folks this week. We've got a big week ahead of us with a lot of football starting up, and uh, the Mariners have recently been on a little little bit of a bad stretch. Um, we're just gonna we're gonna get right into it. John, do you have anything to say before we head to Coyote Picnic? Just one thing. So excited! NFL's back, baby. Let's go. I'm maxing out there a lot. I love it. I love it. Yeah, kind of all that. All right, I forgot I even I didn't do an intro. This is Sound Up Seattle. I'm Tyler. That's John. We're just going. Hey, you know I, who we are. Yeah, I've got places to be later. This is going to be a hopefully short and sweet podcast. So <laughs> we'll see how that we'll see how that goes. Flying to Colorado to see Russell Wilson up close. <laughs> um, John, you want to break it down? Lead us off. Yeah, we wanted to save football for the tail end of the podcast, so we could start out with. Another part of the podcast. Um, We want to talk about the Seattle Mariners and their recent stretch and what it means for the upcoming part of the schedule. And I know, I know, we're confusing. I'm all over the place. We can never seem to decide where we are on the Mariners. And we're probably going to disagree today. Um, But I have a hot take. Do you want to get a mellow take out before I get my hot take out? No, get your hot take out, and I'll respond to it with my mellow take. Okay, my hot take is the Mariners have officially blown their chance at securing the AL West. The AL West title is gone. It is now about holding on to a wild card for dear life. And I don't even think it's that hot of a take. I, that's a pretty hot take, John. They're... Let me break it down for you here. Okay. And by the time I'm done breaking it down, you're going to have nothing to say. Um So the Mariners just finished a very, very disappointing two series against the Mets um, and against the Cincinnati Reds. They lost two out of three in both series, some up and down games. The Reds came back in both of their wins, I believe, Um, at least one. Um, And we narrowly held back a comeback in the last one as well. So frustrating stretch of baseball. Pitching has been a little disappointing. Offense has been anemic. Um, Really hard to figure out. If it's just an effort issue, if if I'm a little worried that the Mariners have the same issue that I think a lot of Mariners fans, <coughs> Tyler, <coughs> have, which is just a little bit of like, you know, feeling good, a little bit of sitting back and being like, hey, yeah, remember we had we'd we're in top of the AL West for like ten seconds. That was cool. Well, that's gone now. Houston just swept Texas. They're now a full game ahead of us in the AL West, and we are a game and a half out of being on the outside looking in of the playoff picture. It's been, I know it's two series, and I know we won a game in each series. I think it's nothing short of a disaster. And I do have some stats to throw at this, but I don't want to monologue for too long. Tyler, why don't you jump in? So I hadn't I hadn't fully fleshed out my thought here, uh, but I'm going to be honest, I kind of agree with you now. Mm. And it's not because of anything you just said. Don't make your argument sound good. But <laughs> this guy. I'm looking at the the Astros remaining schedule. Bro, uh, no, you can't jump on my stuff. I have this written down. Okay, well you could say it, but I'll just give my my opinion. The Astros have a cakewalk coming up. Besides a few games against the Orioles and a few games against the Mariners, 
it should be a pretty easy stretch of baseball for the Astros. And the Mariners have, granted the Rangers have been hot garbage recently, but they've got the Rays. They've got more, you know, another series against the Astros and just more tough games. The Astros are playing the A's, the Royals, just a bunch of shit teams. Bro, you are stepping over my whole segment and not just, not even spelling it out as well as I have written here. Just I am, go for it then. I am fuming. <laughs> <laughs> Are those your stats? I wasn't expecting those to be the stats that you were pulling the, this, These were the stats. Because <laughs> okay. you can, you know, the argument about the playoff race, that's something separate. Regarding top of the AL West, we're now a game behind the Astros, who are the defending champs. We've been talking about them all year. And yeah, as you say, stated, we both have seven series left. We are playing above 500 teams in five of those seven series. We have two relative cakewalks, the Angels and Oakland. Um, the other five series, Tampa Bay, Dodgers, Texas, Houston, Texas. Um, the Astros have three games against teams with winning records, including Arizona, which is like two games above 500. So if we just set them aside. It's two series. It's Baltimore and it's us. And as you said, they play San Diego, who is kind of falling apart, Oakland and KC twice. It's, it's just not even close. We lost the AL West. It's gone. We needed a, like a three-game lead on the Astros to have any chance of holding on through this stretch, and now gone. I yeah, I agree with you. We needed what we needed was the Rangers to put up any sort of fight against the Astros in their last yeah. three games. Them getting swept was not. Good it for was us. horrendous. The Astros, so the Astros just got swept by the Yankees before this Rangers series, and then the Astros went on to win thirteen to six, fourteen to one, and twelve to three. That is, for the record. 38 runs over the course of three games, including a stretch where they had the most home runs ever over, was it a three-game stretch? I, I think so. Against Over that three-game stretch, they had the most home runs in the history of baseball. Altuve had three innings where he hit three home runs. No, he hit, like three straight innings. The first three innings in the game, he hit three home runs. Which is not just ridiculous because, yeah, three at-bats, obviously, over the course of three innings. So he went three for three on home runs. But it also means they got through their lineup every single inning. That is ludicrous. That means nine guys came up to the plate three times <laughs> over the course of three innings. That is disgusting. Horrendous defense. Yeah. And Altuve, I, if I remember this correctly, he had three and three at-bats. And I think he had five in like nine at-bats. I think five in like seven, yeah. Absolutely insane. Obviously, you know, credit to Altuve. He's also a little guy, harder to get out of the park. They're also, were they playing? uh, I guess they were playing at the in Arlington at the Rangers Stadium. I was going to say, if he's in if he's in Houston, it's not that big of a deal. Yeah, yeah, but still, Um, gosh, Altuve, man, we've talked about him before. I don't think anybody. I just like really want to like him. I wish they weren't cheaters so that I could like Altuve. Because thing, everybody, he's like, everybody loved him before the whole cheating scandal. Dude, he is like a super likable dude. But yeah. he's also a piece of shit, so what are you going to do? Um, but anyway, yeah, I I think now, goodbye. Don't even look. Don't even look at the AL West standings. There's no point. Just look at the wild card. We're a game and a half ahead of Texas. We're one game ahead or do I have it backwards? Maybe it's a game think, and a half ahead of the Blue Jays and two ahead of Texas. I think they're tied right now. Texas and the Blue Jays are. Wow. We're a game and a half ahead of both of them. Is what Blue I Blue Jays saying. are half a game ahead of Texas. Oh, okay. Well, then we're probably a game ahead. Um, but anyway, so it's it's tight. It's very tight. Uh, obviously, as you noted, Texas has been 
plummeting, absolutely dropping like a rock through water for the last several months. Um, and Seager's even back. I and he had a he had a good series against the Astros, relatively speaking. Um, so that excuse is gone. So hopefully that continues. They continue to prove themselves frauds, which I said from the very beginning. They're doing wonders for my Q score right now, which I love to hear. But uh, we're going to need it. We're going to need it because the Blue Jays are playing good baseball. We always knew the Blue Jays were good. And uh, the Mariners decided at the least optimum time to lose back-to-back series for the last, first time in two months. First time in two months. And people are acting like it's not a big deal. I think the the big takeaway that I've had over the last stretch of games is uh, obviously, you know, Castillo, Kirby, and Gilbert are going to have a rough outing every once in a while. And those kind of added on to what's been a really rough stretch of baseball for Miller and Wu. Mm. I think they've, they're getting up in the innings count. And obviously, Brian Wu is at the point where he's thrown more innings this year than he's ever thrown in his life. Correct. Like, Which is the opposite of what we wanted. Yeah, he's just, his arm's dead. His velocity's down. He's, it's been down huge the last couple starts. Uh, Miller, he needs to be keeping his fastball at a certain point. Otherwise, he doesn't really have any sort of offensive weapons to, to throw at batters. Um, and so those guys being so exhausted based on just where they are in the season where they had to be, you really start to feel the absence of Robbie Ray and Marco Gonzalez right about now. Yes, that's that's super true. And yeah, I think, I think that says it more than anything. Like, what's wrong with the pitching staff? Well, it's been, you know, a whole season without one of our top three pitchers and at least regular season pitchers and uh, half a season now without a top five guy. Um, And yeah, it's putting a lot of stress on the group. I just want to say, yeah, regarding those two guys, Wu, it's discouraging just because at some point you wonder what he's capable of physically. Like, obviously he's young, but will he ever be able to be a guy that gives us a full season of work? Or is he destined to be a relief guy? Um, it's just a little concerning. You're right. He, you can see him degrading on the mound game after game. Um, and, you know, it's not his fault. I, he's still working through it. I still really like Wu. But it's more of a concern about, like, oh, what's this guy, like, capable of? And then Miller, my concern level is way lower. He's getting pushed really hard. He is super young. He's getting pushed super hard. And I've actually been really impressed with what we've seen from him. Um, Obviously, some up and down outings. Maybe some more downs than ups. But he's also had some really impressive stretches where he'll find himself, you know, in trouble in the first inning. And he'll fight his way out of it. And maybe he'll surrender an earned run or two. um, Which, for a team that's, you know, competing for, you know, the division is really frustrating. But for a young guy, I've been, I've been really impressed. I've seen some some grit from him and some toughness that I wasn't sure he had, and we know he has we, he has the natural talent. So while it may not be good for the Mariners this year, I'm actually like more encouraged about Bryce Miller than I was before. I like that. Uh, he's getting pushed physically, man. Like he's getting to the end of his rope too. I mean, that's the thing. Wu's been past his rope for yeah, the last that's, that's three starts. <laughs> And he's just not, like, bouncing back. At least Miller comes back with, like, a third of a tank every game. I feel like Wu has just been pitching on empty for, for... That's the thing. He's just sputtering with a half a gallon left in his tank right now and yeah. just trying to make it to the finish line. hes I don't even think they're going to bring him into the postseason unless it's going to be for, like, an inning over the course of any sort of series because he just doesn't have anything left. Correct. He's been 
throwing a ton. I'm wor- I'm worried about his arm. I'm worried about because I like him as a pitcher. I'm worried about what we may be doing to him by pushing him this hard. I think this is it for the long term future of his arm. I think it's actually yeah, it's a pretty bad sign that he's fading so quickly and we're still using him. But at the same time, it's like, who are we going to turn to? It's, are we going to go to Tommy Malone or Darren McCacken mm. or any of these like quad A guys who we can, who we've had spot start and it's, you know, gone fine. And it's probably just, I guess that's the next question is like, do we replace Wu? Cause he, he shouldn't be starting at this point. He's not giving you, well, God, shouldn't be as a strong word too, but he's not giving you the quality that he was. And at this point, if it's good for his arm and good for the team to save him from putting all this extra stress and fatigue on his body so that he can build it back up for next year, should we be starting Tommy Malone or Darren McCacken or any one of these other guys who's available in AAA? And you know what's crazy is that you know normally I'm the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush guy. It's like, no, if we have him now, we need him now. I actually think it's easy. I do think we need to be resting him specifically for the fact that, like, yeah, we want to make the postseason, but we also want to do something when we get there. And it'd be really nice to have Wu, obviously, Wu probably wouldn't find himself starting, but to be able to use him as a reliever. And, yeah, to not completely wear him out physically. And also, he's a young pitcher. For the love of God, do not underestimate the psychological hurt that can happen by being pushed to your limits physically and having bad outings one after another. Pitchers are delicate instruments, and I really like Wu. Um, and I would just, obviously, if we lose a bunch of these next games and find ourselves on the outside looking in, maybe this situation changes. But if we can rest him and bring up another arm, I think it would help us both in the short term in terms of our playoff, but also in the long term, you know, in helping that asset retain as much of its value as possible. Yeah. Um, so, I, yeah, I actually do. I do think it would... Well, you know, what good is he doing us starting? You can... We're talking about it. He's got nothing left to give. Why keep taking? Why not let him rest? And maybe, you know, in a couple weeks, in a month, he can provide some meaningful innings. Yeah, my, my thought about that is... In, in In my humble opinion, I think we should be opening with... Or not opening. We should throw Tommy Malone out there. I really like what he's provided for us the last couple of times. He's he's been out there. Agreed. Have him throw you know whatever he can, whether that's four to six innings, whatever he can we can get out of him, and then bring in Luke Weaver for a couple innings and just have that spot be a kind of combined start between those two because you know Wu's arm is dead at this point. We can't assume even if we had brought in an opener like a Luke Weaver or not Luke Weaver. Is it Luke Weaver? Yeah, Weaver. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I'm thinking that's wrong. Um, but not opening with Weaver and then bringing in Wu later just because that's that's not doing Wu any good to, to kind of ramp him up every single five, every five days because that's not what he needs. He needs Correct. rest. It's the opposite of what he needs. And honestly, yeah, I, you don't even have to you know send him home. Just move him into the pen and use him selectively just the Chris Flexen role of last year like absolutely it'd be fantastic and yeah. he yeah he's he's a smart pitcher I really like like he's not the most talented guy but I think he's really smart I think he understands the game and I don't think it would be very hard for him at all to move into that role 
Um, he was he, a reliever in college and correct. kind of brought him in as as a reliever and just stretched him out, which is why he doesn't have this kind of innings count. Exactly. Ever. We've just stretched him and stretched him and stretched him like Taffy. <laughs> and he's a little more brittle than that. So let's let him return a little bit to his more natural role. Yeah, I... It's, it's a little freaky, man. I'm going to be honest with you. We went from the highest of highs with these Mariners. Much like we went from the lowest of lows to the highest of highs in July, I am now in a pretty dark place when it comes to this team. I would put their odds of missing the playoff at like something like 40, 45%. That's a, that's a very high number, John. With the way that our... So I think us and the Blue Jays right now, we're a game, game and a half ahead. Obviously, our ceiling is higher, but our pitching is toast. It's just tired. It's worn out. It's had pressure put on it all year, and I'm concerned about it. I'm concerned about our four or five spots. Castillo hasn't had his best night tonight, you know? Kirby and Gilbert, I think. I guess Kirby, Gilbert, and Castillo we still feel really good about. And maybe I'm not giving that enough credit. Maybe there are a lot of teams that don't feel that good about their top three guys. But there's a real concern at the bottom of our order. And, yeah, I just, I think the Blue Jays are really good. And despite me knowing that Texas is frauds, they may not know that. And they may rally late in the year. And we play them six times over the course of the last nine games. And if they take five of those, we are going to be out. If they take four of those, we might be out. It may literally just come down to that. If they take four of six, we may be out. Yeah, we have to. I mean, to be to be fair, Texas is in the same spot that we are with our pitching. Like their pitching is so thin right now. Correct. Um, and, and it's, it's worse. Yeah. Like they don't they don't have the one through three through three that we have. Yes. Um. So in the, in that in that sense, we should be okay. Uh, every every start that is made by Castillo is made by Dane Dunning for <laughs> Texas. Like <laughs> that is a very fair point, and it's also worth noting. Uh, you know. They did have Seager back for this last series against the Astros. I believe that was his first series back. He did look pretty sharp, but uh, it's also his first series back. You know, he may work into this offense and integrate this offense and provide a spark to this offense more as their year goes on. Um, but you're right. Their, their pitching is a mess. In terms of schedule, they play the A's joke. Blue Jays four times, which will be big That's for gonna us. That's going to be huge because we just want them to split. Absolutely. We want them to bludgeon each other. Then they play the Guardians, Red Sox, Yankees, Yankees, Mariners, Angels, Mariners. When I see the the Seattle Mariners insignia, I just see like 19-time world champions. <laughs> so I just think Yankees. Um, so they've got, they've got somewhere in between us and Houston where uh, it's not a cake. Well, I, I think... Guardians are over 500, but barely, and Angels are under. So they have like two or three teams against subpar competition. But yeah, man, I am. I'm really I, concerned. I I will validate your concern. the The ratio or the 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 space for error is not very high. Like we need to keep winning 60 percent of our games. That's like where we need to be. Be above 500 team for the remainder of this season. Because I don't think the Rangers are going to be able to play 500 ball. Hmm. The Blue Jays are... The Blue Jays, they might pass us, but... Then we'd have the third spot. We just need to beat the Rangers. Is Red, Red Sox are at. well out. We would have to truly collapse to give up the three if the Rangers don't come and take it. So you're right. I mean, the Rangers have been spiraling for a month and a half now. 
There's no reason to necessarily expect that they're going to turn it around on a dime tomorrow. Their concerns are our concerns. Julio's still been playing well. But yeah, man, I'm a little freaked out. Okay, so I said 40, 45%. You're right, that was probably a little high. What would you say the odds, the percentage chances that the Mariners miss the playoff? 20%. 20%. One in five. I don't like those odds. I don't love it. I would love to have just won the, you know, six of the last eight and not have to be worried about this. But Just win your series. So, yeah, we were talking about this earlier. Two lost series. Going back to the Oakland series, we've now lost five of our last eight. That's not good. It's not a good stat. Don't like hearing it. Makes me sad. Playing Tampa Bay in a four-game series, gosh, it's going to be so big. We need a split. Need it so bad. So that might be enough on the nerves. I'm not sure there's anything else you want to say. I just I had to get that hot take in. I'm worried. I'm concerned. For the third time this year, the Mariners have me sweating, and it makes me sad. Yeah, I think that's kind of a, a good stopping point. We just wanted to kind of analyze where they're at and yeah. how, how the rest of the season looks. Mm-hmm. Next week we might get into what's been if we if you guys really want an analysis of how the team's doing and we can look at baseball savant and give you that. But Ooh. right now it's just a pure vibes based check. Well, vibes and schedule. Vibes and schedule is what that is. Um, yeah, that was a good deep dive. One last thing I wanted to say, I, I, I really do believe this. God damn it. We shouldn't have swept the Astros. We should have let them take one. Because the <laughs> Astros have been on a tear ever since we swept them. And I'm really bummed. I'm really bummed we uh, we should have let them take one. And maybe maybe they would have been a little colder down the stretch. Okay. Let's move on. Do you want to talk Seahawks? Do you want to talk UW football? Uh, let's, let's talk UW football. We can spend a lot of time on Seahawks. So we might as well... Make them wait a little longer. Yeah, I think the UW football discussion won't be won't be too much because listen, UW plays Tulsa this weekend, um, and let me just let me just tell you the betting odds, John. Mm, tell them to me. The spread is UW minus thirty four and a half. Ooh, that's in response to the Boise game. Yeah, I mean Tulsa's not supposed to be very good. Uh, the over/under for the game is sixty-five and a half, and there is no money line. There's there's no money line for this game. UW is basically <laughs> assured the win. I love I love when Vegas refuses to put a money line in. They won't even do like a you know minus ten thousand or something. It's like come on, let me get a penny back on my thousand dollars. That's for those people who bet a million dollars on this game and then they get a thousand bucks. It's like What's a, <laughs> give them a thousand bucks, man. Don't be cheap. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so that that should be an easy win. I think, did you want to talk about, because we haven't talked about their Boise State win. That was a smackdown. All we talked about was the preview, yeah. Yeah. We told you, what did we tell you? We told you, if if you live in a state where gambling is legal, then you should have bet on the UW line, and UW crushed the line. They won 56-19. It was, and it was tight early. Was it, were they down 7-14? They were at least tied 7-7. You or Boise State definitely took had the first touchdown and took the lead, and then I think they were they, up nine seven. Yeah, they missed the PAT and then hit a field goal to be up nine seven um, in then the first. With it, yeah. And then UW just kind of kind of took off as as they do. I think some some big notes from the game were that uh, Michael Penix Jr. looked like a Heisman candidate first and first and foremost. Damn right. Um, McMillan and Adunze had great games. And uh, the defense 
for Boise State is pretty good. And so the fact that we were able to put up 56 after really only scoring one touchdown in the first, uh, and maybe they tagged one on late in the first as well. I don't remember exactly when that second score happened. But uh, to put up 56 points against a pretty stout defensive team who's going to win a lot of their games. Like, Boise State is a good team. Correct. That's just a great amount of offense we were able to generate. And Phoenix didn't even have to play after the third. Like, it was a trouncing. Absolutely. So, yeah, just to give you a little bit of context, because you're, you're actually selling them a bit short. They didn't score in the first quarter. Really? Their first score was 14 minutes left in the second quarter. That's what it was. Okay. Um, so, you're right. That's 56 points scored in three quarters, in which your starting quarterback played two of those quarters. Um, and, yeah, Penix had 450 yards and five touchdowns in three quarters of action. 29 of 40, 75% completion percentage, and he was averaging 11.2 yards per completion. So he wasn't just checking it down, checking it down, checking it down. This was not a Jimmy Garoppolo 29 for 40 game. He was airing it out and hitting his guys. Yeah, Adunze, is that how you say it? Romeo Adunze. Was awesome. 7 for 8, 132 and a touchdown as their best receiver. Polk had a really good game, too. Three Polk had for a great three game. For 101 and a touchdown, averaging 33 yards. Um, and then, yeah, Nixon and McMillan were both good as well. Um, yeah, pretty dominant. Pretty dominant. Uh, I was curious to see when the new AP came out if we would have jumped, and it didn't look like we moved. We moved up to eight after the Clemson us. and LSU losses, which who were five and nine. Good call. Um, so they moved out, and we just kind of – followed the order and and moved up the funny thing is usc stayed at six so we're just just climbing a, a little bit closer to that top ranked pac-12 team breathing down their necks and yeah Penix, awesome game you're right absolutely heisman worthy against an underrated defense that was big uh, hopefully you can keep that up um our usc boy had a decent game too uh so unfortunately he was not necessarily getting the buzz that we wanted him to get because Caleb Williams was was pretty monstrous. Um, so, what are you going to do? Yeah. I think, to be honest, Caleb Williams is probably the better NFL candidate for a quarterback. Um, oh, well, there's, no, there's not really a doubt about that. Yeah, but this is a great opportunity for Phoenix to really give give him the business and, and breathe down his neck a little bit, as you were saying. Yeah, he had 319 yards and five touchdowns against Nevada, and he only threw it 24 times. Goodness gracious. Um, so, yeah, they play Stanford. That'll be a good game. Hopefully, uh, I guess we don't want USC to fall, do we? We want USC no. to stay undefeated. And, and then, then we beat them. For in us to beat them. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. We want them to be one defeated by us. Um, so, yeah, I guess good luck to them. I hope they crush the Cardinals. Um, or the Cardinal. Fun trivia fact for people out there. Stanford, one of the only college football teams in the country with a mascot whose name does not end in S. The Stanford Cardinal. Really? Yeah, along with the uh, Tennessee Volunteer. No, the, they have to be the Volunteers. I, their official logo, the Volunteer. Huh. Uh, the Massachusetts Minutemen, Rolling Tide of Alabama, and the Tulane Green Wave. Those are the ones that are coming to mind. Not that I'm a nerd or anything. Just, you know, necessary sports knowledge coming from John. (laughs) You might be right about Volunteer. I might be wrong about that one. Anyway, Um, anything else you want to mention on UW? uh, One quick Washington State mention. 
50 to 24 win against Colorado State. That's a good win. Heck yeah. Heck yeah. Let's go Cougs. Love yeah. to see it. Uh, real quick, uh, remind me the line for the UW game. Uh, it is UW minus 34 and a half. Okay, so we're one for one on the year on predicting whether or not people should go over or under. Do you have any thoughts? I can, okay, here's my thought is can UW's defense hold Tulsa to below 10 points? Because if that can you it, count on the offense to score more than 45? Yeah, that's that's really what it is is I think the offense is going to score 45 or more points. You know, we could we could expect them to score 63 or whatever it is, eight touchdowns or nine touchdowns. But I think the real baseline is if the defense can hold the Tulsa offense to 10 points, you're golden there. But see, my concern is garbage time, man. It always happens. That's what I'm thinking. Well, and if UW's up by so much, they're going to take out Penix again. Agreed. And it's just going to be kind of the same ending where, granted, we scored a bunch against Boise State, and Dylan Morris is a decent backup quarterback. But, you know, you can't count on it. But you can't count on it, and garbage time... I think think you take the points on this one. Uh, give me, give me one second. Let me look at uh, Tulsa's previous game. They're one to zero. They beat Arkansas Pine Bluff, the dominant Arkansas Pine Bluff, forty-two to seven. They, they, I, it, Arkansas Pine Bluff does not look like a real team, but forty-two to seven is a dominant outing. You want to give them thirty-four and a half points to start a game? I say no. Screw it. I'm going to take the third. I'm going to... Uh, oh. No, 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 no. I'm going to take UW minus 34 and a half. Damn it. I was hoping we'd have consensus. But we'll see who was right. One yeah. of us is bound to be. I mean, I just can't imagine Arkansas Pine Bluff having a good enough defense to stop Tulsa. They're, that and the is fact that they're going to have to go up against UW's defense is going to be very tough for them. But the idea that you could win by, you know, four touchdowns and not cover the spread is a little nerve-wracking. The real... The, what, I would, what I would say is take the over on the point total. But, you know, what that also says, that's saying that they don't believe in the minus 34 line. Yeah. Because they aren't saying that they think Washington is going to score like 80 points this game. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think that's enough on UW. Yeah. We just like talking about sports betting, so this is the perfect I was good. This really isn't even work for us. Sometimes we forget we're <laughs> recording, you know, just get a little lost in the sauce. Um, all right. Let's move on to the main event, the thing that everybody is excited for. The NFL season starts tonight. We are recording this on Thursday, uh, the 7th of September. It is currently 4.34 p.m., and if for whatever reason this podcast goes for another 20 minutes, the second it hits 5 o'clock, I'm closing my computer uh, because the NFL season is about to kick off. This is our 9 to 5. We shut off at 5 o'clock. I was going to say, sorry, guys. This is <laughs> yeah. I'm just trying to pay the bills here. Um, so excited for the NFL. Just... Briefly before we go into it, I love the NFL. Obviously, problematic as hell as a sport, but it is just like so wonderfully orchestrated. And it is with the mess that college football is right now. With all the ads and stuff like that, and just like. What I meant more just like with it being so top heavy. Well, I was thinking with that, with the movement, just like everything about it is kind of just like all over the place right now. I'll just let me just say it this way: the NFL easily has the best regular season of any professional sport based in the United States. Easily, it's not close. College basketball, great. 
I love it. College football, also very good. All the other professional sports, not really. <laughs> and it's just the NFL. You know, 17 games. Every game matters. Fantasy football rocks. Sports betting, if it's done legally, rocks. I just love the NFL, and I'm so excited. It's not my favorite sport. I like enjoy watching the game of basketball more. But the NFL as like a season is absolutely the best professional league, and I'm so excited for the regular season. I would agree with that. I also would say the saturation of talent in the NFL makes it just like that much more enjoyable to watch. Yeah. Well, and it's almost the opposite in basketball. With like basketball is pretty talent saturated right now, and it can actually hurt in certain ways. Mm-hmm. But um, because of the like, it, you know, the basketball, the NBA has a problem with everything being so offensive. I think. Yeah. And because the talent comes on both sides of the of the ball for football, that can create that great dichotomy. Of exactly. That. So you get the James Harden in basketball, where you get the joy of watching him play offense, but then you have to watch him play defense, and you're like, this is gross. But in football. Everybody who's ever on the field is elite at what they're doing in that moment. Like, you know? Yep. Nick Bosa doesn't have to try to pass block. Not that he wouldn't be good at it. <laughs> All that is to say, John doesn't like college football as much because he went to Gonzaga. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not bitter. You're bitter. Um, but let's talk a little Seahawks. Uh, we're very excited for the Seahawks season. It's going to be uh, a fun year. And so just... You know, Tyler wanted to get into the micro. We wanted to talk, you know, first I wanted to talk this week, but that'll be, that'll be later. Like that. But I just think before we dive into the season, we should just have a brief discussion of their immediate, you know, season kind of lookout, which is first game this Sunday against the Rams. It'll be a good one. We'll get into it. Their second game is against Detroit, then Carolina. They play the New York Giants. They have an early bye week, bye week, week five, before they played the Bengals. I wonder where that is. It's at the Bengals. Damn, that would have been a fun one to go to. Yeah. Um, Arizona, Cleveland, Baltimore, Washington, Rams again, 49ers, Dallas, San Francisco, Philadelphia, Tennessee, Pittsburgh, Arizona. So if everybody, you know, rest that hand from that that furious scribbling you just did. (laughs) You just got an exclusive look at the Seahawks schedule. You can't get that anywhere else. Um, we should go to a go to a home game. I, I have fun fact: never been to a Seahawks game that was part of the regular season. I've been to preseason. But. I went to my first Seahawks game last year. I saw them Week One beat the Denver Broncos. That was a, that was a crazy game. Yeah, cross Russell in his first game and and have him chanting Geno after the game, which played out pretty serendipitously, so that was pretty cool. Um, The only other thing in terms of overview I wanted to talk about, this year, 2023, the Seahawks have the eighth easiest strength of schedule. Um, So there are seven teams with easier schedules than the Hawks. Three of those teams play in the NFC South and are playing each other because that division sucks. Um, But So they have a very easy schedule. The only other NFC team uh, above them outside of the South is the Niners, also have a very easy strength of schedule. So that's a bad sign in terms of division. Um, going to be awful hard to try to wrestle the division crown from the Niners, but uh, looks very good for a potential wild card. Um, 
The only reason I wanted to bring that up, number eight, is because last year we had the 22nd easiest strength of schedule. So well in the bottom half of the league. Um, we played a really tough schedule last year and had a really nice season. Um, and we're really happy with our offense. So I think there's no reason to expect that this season won't surpass our expectations. People always just kind of look at like, oh, who are we bringing back, you know? Anybody new we're adding to the roster? Sometimes the biggest addition can be the guys you aren't playing. And uh, the opponents that we'll be playing this year will be significantly easier as a whole. Yeah, I think uh, it is not alarming in any way, but the 49ers having an easier strength of schedule than us is not a great sign in terms of winning the division. I would agree. Uh, the fact that we play them twice, if we can split those games, I yes. think that would that if that if we do that, that's a great indication of okay, we can compete for this. But based on how those games go, and it sounds like those are more later in the season. Yes. So we will already kind of get a feeling of it by then. But I think starting off strong with those first four games being against not the best competition um, with Rams, Lions, yeah, Detroit and the New York are both going to be pretty good, I think. But Carolina and Los Angeles are both dumpster fires. Yeah, so. <laughs> I think no matter what, we'll probably at least start off two and two. But if we can sneak one against the Giants or the or the Lions, yeah, and start off three and one. Things. We could be four and zero. Oh, absolutely. Cincinnati is our first like kind of schedule loss in terms of them being significantly better, and that comes after a bye week. So we I have think, that. Like I really think we'll be able to compete with any team besides maybe the Chiefs, who just have too high powered of an offense. Yes, but the Bengals will be a will be a tough task. I, yeah, so that's that's interesting because, yeah, Detroit, New York, if we're not favored in both of those, it'll be close. Um, getting the Bengals after a bye week, having an extra week to prepare, that'll be useful. And then we play Arizona. We could be 6-0 and coming out of week 7. Um, not likely, but possible. Um, and, yeah, those two Niners games, we play them week 12 and week 14. Those will be really big. Those will be very, very big. It's kind of interesting, man. I don't... I know they adjust strength of schedule based on how you did the previous year, but they didn't seem to do a really great job because, yeah, Niners have the fourth easiest strength of schedule despite being the two seed last year, and then Philadelphia has the tenth easiest strength of schedule as the defending runners-up. Kansas City, for the record, is 28, so they are getting hammered. I think... Yeah, for whatever reason. I think what that comes down to is... uh how your division did correct and so when you think about that it's like okay this division you know the kansas city division what is that afc west yeah the um, afc west is stacked the afc west is stacked and so they play the tougher divisions like the afc north and uh that's i don't a, know that's NFC a really good point you're educating me here you're saying it's not based on individual record it's based on how they match up the divisions so it's about division record i don't know if that's the case, but that feels like what it should be and why it would work that way. Because yeah. the Eagles having an easy strength of schedule is probably because the Cowboys, Commanders, and the Giants were all pretty mediocre last year. And and for the record, we you do when you're looking at the strength of schedule, you do see division clumping where you know three of the NFC South are in the five easiest, and then yeah, Eagles are ten, Giants are twelve, uh, uh, Cowboys are fourteen. So yeah. you do see this kind of clumping. Yeah. Well, I mean, the way that they break it down is they have, you know, they have you obviously played the people in your division twice. Yep. You're matched then, up with one. And then other you're matched division. up with two other divisions. It's like you get okay, you get the AFC North and the NFC South, and those are the divisions that your group is playing. 
All right, people, we are back. We've done our research. We're so sorry we didn't do our homework before starting this. Sometimes we just have conversations mid-podcast. And like realize lunatics. the things we don't know. Uh, but we cracked it. So we do, we're matched up with two divisions outside of our own. We're playing the AFC North and the NFC East. Um, so we're getting, you know, Cowboys and Philly in the East and then, you know, Cincinnati and Cleveland from the AFC North along with the rest of those divisions. And then the three remaining games, so we get four and four from the two divisions, six from our own division, uh, and the remaining three games in our schedule are essentially random opponents that we believe are based off individual you know, performance last year. Because the three random teams we play are Tennessee, Carolina, and Detroit. Three teams from three different divisions. We've got uh, the NFC North, the NFC South, and the AFC South. Um, but all three of those teams finished right around 500 last year. Tennessee snuck into the playoff. The other two just missed it. And Seattle more or less fell into that same camp last year. So that seems to be how they've done it. They've matched us up with two additional divisions and then three individual opponents based on our performance last year. So boom, how do you like that? Take that information to the bank. You're welcome. Go tell all your friends. <laughs> I can't wait for our entire listener base to be like, yeah, asshole, we already knew that. Because <laughs> we're real fans. It's because you didn't know that because it's, you know, recently that's become a thing and the Colts have been atrocious for the last few years. So you haven't really cared about the strength of schedule. Oh, no, I have not. Yeah, our strength of schedule is very easy every year because we're trash. <laughs> Um, all right, let's move on from strength of schedule for the whole season and talk about strength of schedule for this individual week. Please, for the love of God. Um, yes, yeah, so we play the Los Angeles Rams uh, in Seattle week one this Sunday, 1.25 p.m. Eastern time start. Let's go. Yeah, we play Rams, and the spread is 5.5 in favor of the Seahawks, and uh, total over-under is 46 Looking at that, I'm seeing that the Rams and Seahawks are predicted to have a relatively close game. Five and a half is actually a decently, like... That's a solid it's, spread. It's a solid spread. Um, a lot of NFL games end in that, like, you know, th- like three-point differentials. Absolutely. Um, and so in that regard, I think the NFL is generally saying, okay, the Rams are not that bad, but hear me out, John. Cooper Cup's not playing this week. Yeah, I think a couple things are wrong about this line. So just... A brief overview for our people that are less belligerent than we are. Kind of a basic to understanding NFL spreads is if the spread is less than three points, so if it's, you know, two and a half or less, Vegas is essentially saying, eh, we'll take these guys, but we don't really know who's going to win. That's what that says. If it's three or above, they're saying, we really truly favor this team, but they're both good teams. And... Uh, if it's less than, or I guess if it's more than seven, uh, that's you know the spread makers basically saying we think this team is significantly better than the other team. Um, you'll rarely see a matchup between two decent teams that exceeds seven points because anything outside of that, it's you know the NFL is a pretty wild sport. Lots of things can happen, and you know anything beyond that's almost like disrespectful. For example, the Ravens. People think they're going to be really solid this year. They think they're going to compete for the AFC North. They are playing the Texans, who many people think might be the worst team up there with Carolina in football this year. And the Ravens are favored by nine and a half. 
So that's the NFL saying, hey, we think the Ravens are way better than this Texans team. They're still only getting nine and a half points. Um, So that can kind of give you some level of understanding. So what they're telling us is they think Seattle is a better team than the Rams, but they don't necessarily think we're in two totally different stratosphere as teams. Yeah. Um, But you're right. Yeah, five. Cooper Cup's not playing. Cooper Cup individually turns the Rams offense into, you know, bottom five in the NFL to, like, an offense I want nothing to do with. Because Cooper Cup, when he's healthy, major caveat, circle it, you know, put an asterisk, when he's healthy, is the best receiver in football. And I don't want to hear anybody argue with me because the statistics simply do not lie. He put together the single most dominant season a wide receiver has ever had in the history of football two years ago with the Rams. Broke almost every record there was for an individual season. And then last year was outdoing himself for the first five or six weeks of the season before he got hurt and went down. Um, He's an absolute monster. Him and Matt Stafford have a really special connection. Um, And he's also, if you couldn't tell by the way I'm talking about him, one of my favorite players in the NFL. So, uh, bummed to see him hurt, but it's good for the Hawks that he's not playing. When he's not on the field, the Rams' offense is bad. Matt Stafford is old. It's just not, yeah, it's not threatening. It's non-competitive. Who's their, Van Jefferson is now their best receiver. I like Cam Akers, their running back, but like, what are we, what are we doing? The, the Seattle offense is going to be really good this year. It's going to be really good. And I think their defense is going to be able to significantly affect this smattering of people that are on this Rams team. Um, so I like five for the Seahawks. I do. I think that's a totally reasonable line. And 46 and a half is high. I think this is going to be like a 24 to 6 game. I, you know. Really? You don't think they're going to score at all? I don't. I would. I do not think that the Rams are going to score a touchdown. If you were to give me the odds that the Rams score a touchdown, I would put it at like minus 105, you know? That's that's a hot take right there. I think the Rams, any any competent offensive coordinator with a quarterback of Matt Stafford's caliber, granted he's not in his prime, but any he com- competent year. offense should be able to score a touchdown in a game. Last uh, year, Matt Stafford finished the, as the 32nd best fantasy quarterback in football. I'm not surprised. He didn't have Cooper Cup for most of the season. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but I, I think. Do you think the Hawks' defense is going to be like bad this year? No, we talked about that. I think it's going to be good. Why do you think I? We just had our fantasy draft last night. I picked the Seahawks' defense. I just um, this Rams' offense without Cooper Cup. It was has no 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 right scoring a touchdown. <laughs> I picked the Seahawks' defense purely because I have the Patriots' defense as well, and so the Patriots are playing the Eagles this week. So I was like, oh, I got to pick a different defense. Seahawks against the Rams, that's free money. Um, but 46 and a half. If Seattle won 27 to 17, that might sound more realistic to you. 27 to 17 would cover the spread easily. They would still finish under that line. Yeah. That's yeah. a high line. I don't like that total at all. I think, I think it's under, and I think it's Seattle minus five. I think, yeah, I, I like... Oh, my problem is I kind of like the under with the Rams plus five and a half and it being like 20 to 17 or something like that, or like 17 to 14, like a pretty low scoring game. But I think the Seahawks just haven't played a ton with their offense all put together as one piece. 
and so I think it's going to take a little bit to get going. I think, you know, in Seattle, the Rams are, and, and first week in general, it's really easy for the underdogs to kind of keep up with the... That's fair. Week uh, one, they're always hiccups. Yeah. just I, I just think it's very possible for the Rams to stay with us this week. Um, the real key is if our defense can keep them from scoring in that first quarter and let our offense kind of get up to speed, I think we'll run away with it and maybe end, you know, finish the game... I don't know, twenty to ten, but I really don't think we're going to score that much because the Rams have have a good defense. They're not they don't have a bad defense by any means. They just don't have the offensive pieces. Uh, they have an okay defense. They have Aaron Donald, which is like an okay. Yeah, that's defense a good defense. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. I I do not like this Rams team, and I do not think they're going to score a lot of points. Um, but we both agree. I think it should be an easy win for Seattle. If Seattle doesn't cover the spread in this game, I know it's Week One. We won't overreact no matter what happens in week one. But if this Seattle team wants to be taken seriously, they have no right being within five points of this Los Angeles Rams team without the best receiver in the NFL playing. Yeah, I I agree. I think they should win by over five and a half points. But because it's the first week and because of all those things that I listed before, I just think it's going to be a closer game than we want it to be. Mm. Um, but all it is to say, at the end of the day, the Seahawks should win this game. Mm. And it should feel easier than it probably will be. Um, but I, I really have full faith in the team. I have full faith in the defense. To, Not to, full faith. You think it's going to be close. I think we're going to run away with it. I'm I have full faith. Purely in terms of winning. I have full faith in this in this Seahawks team. If they don't win, I will be utterly shocked. That would be pretty shocking. It would be pretty shocking. Um, I guess, last thing I wanted to say, Cooper Cup, Yakima boy, Eastern Washington... Let's go Hawks, baby. Redfield, Redfield, baby. Let's go. Um, little, little best, best receiver in the NFL, Washington. Yeah, it's crazy that Eastern Washington University produced one of the, like the current best receiver in the NFL. I guess yeah. in twenty twenty one. I was getting you. Know, if you want to put Justin Jefferson there, that's fine. But he's a top five receiver in terms of talent, and there's no question. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool for Eastern Washington Eagles, baby. Corn fed, baby. Let's go. <laughs> All right. Um, anything else before we sign off? I feel like that was a that was a good good little Gosh. little snippet. We always what we, make what it we're to gonna talk about. minutes without even trying. I thought we were at like twenty five. Unbelievable. We do our best. That's all I got. All right then. For John Carey, I'm Tyler Cartwright. This has been the Sound Up Seattle podcast. If you enjoyed, please give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts wherever you're listening to this. Um, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram. All at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can email us at soundupseattle at gmail.com. You can find me, Tyler, at tycart50, everywhere that's important. And you can find John dancing as the Mariners are beating the Rays right now, 1-0, to zero, in his chair in front of the microphone. <laughs> and as always, but also for the first time this year, let's go Hawks! Go Hawks, baby! <laughs>